The Final Four is now set, and what a weekend it was. Welcome into the nation's college basketball show. It is college basketball coast-to-coast. I am merely your host, TJ Reeves, and I have been a fan of the game, covering the game in the media, and much more for going on about 45 years now. I can honestly say to you, that coming off of the Elite Eight games in 2019, this may very well have been the greatest compilation of four hotly contested, close, back-and-forth, dramatic finishes in an Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament ever, ever. We're going to explore that as we talk about it, but congrats to Texas Tech and Virginia and Auburn and Michigan State that have survived. No, there's not a Duke there. There's not a Kentucky there, much less a a North Carolina or a Kansas that was in this tournament. Forget about UCLA and Indiana that can't even make the tournament anymore. But still, don't diminish the accomplishment of those that climbed the mountain. And it's a first time ever for Texas Tech and Auburn to get there. Traditionally, they are football schools. Well, now they're known for their hoops and what they were able to do in their regional finals. And the same thing is true for Virginia back in the Final Four for the first time in 35 years on the heels of losing to a 16 seed last year. Several of the players are back on this year's team And they climbed the mountain as well in what was a great game with Purdue on Saturday night in Louisville, Kentucky. We're obviously going to talk about that and probably the game of the weekend. No no offense to what Texas Tech did to Gonzaga or likewise Auburn knocking off Kentucky coming from behind and winning in overtime in a great battle with those two SEC teams in Kansas City. But that Michigan State... Duke game we're going to spend a lot of time on straight ahead. Ari Russell is going to be with me. Ari was in the arena in the Capital One arena in Washington, D.C. for that East Regional Final. He covered it. He's got a post-game interview with a Michigan State guest. What a great game. What a great win for Tom Izzo. The latest Final Four, his eighth Final Four, comes at the expense of Coach K and Duke. So much about the Duke freshmen and Zion Williamson, who was phenomenal in this tournament and on Sunday, but could not carry them across the finish line himself. Michigan State, no, no. Too good in the end. Ari was there. He'll tell you more about it. He's got a special postgame guest. I'll, uh, I'll get nostalgic with him a little bit about Michigan State and Duke and how good this game was. So that's straight ahead. Matt Zimmick will also be here, cbbtoday.com. One of their top writers, great guest on this podcast. I want to talk to him about all four of these regional finals in the Elite Eight as we recap them on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Mark Wise will be here as well from the ESPN family of networks. Mark, a former Purdue and South Florida assistant, former Purdue assistant for the 1980 Final Four team. Purdue was looking to be back for the first time in 39 years, but they could not beat Virginia on Saturday night. Denied again, this time by... The Wahoos, the Cavaliers, who move on to Minneapolis. So Mark will be here to talk about those four games, what he thought. And he and I are going to go back and forth about instant replay and replay review and coaches not having timeouts left and still being allowed to huddle up with their team during a replay review. I'll talk with Mark on all of those subjects after four great games get his perspective as well and also Deshaun Tate will be here from Atlanta and the uh, the terrestrial radio station 92.9 the game the FM radio sports station in Atlanta love Deshaun's insight he's been with me as well on college basketball coast to coast throughout the season with the final four set looking forward to talking to Deshaun about what he thought about the Texas Tech Virginia Auburn and Michigan State wins anxious to hear what he has to say on all of that and get ready for the Final Four this week. And later this week, Ari and Mark and Deshaun will be with me on the Final Four coverage from Minneapolis. We will be there live as part of this podcast and on TuneIn. 
So keep it locked in here throughout the rest of this week and in through the Final Four as these games unfold with previews, recaps, stories, insight from on scene at U.S. Bank Stadium and the Final Four. Again, if you've not subscribed, subscribe to this podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, go find it via Spreaker.com. You can subscribe through there as well. CBBToday.com, the college basketball website, doing a great job promoting us, but you want to subscribe because a new podcast will come to you as soon as it's available later this week when we're previewing the final four you'll get the podcast immediately on your phone on your ipad if you subscribe so go find us uh subscribe to us and we talk lots of hoops it gets really good now starting this weekend because somebody by the time we get to monday night about midnight eastern time is going to win a national championship tom Izzo is the only coach that has one of those out of the four that are there and certainly uh, the other three coaches have never been to a Final Four, much less playing for the title game on Monday night. When you talk Chris Beard, Texas Tech, Tony Bennett, Virginia, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, let's see what's going to transpire in Minnesota when the games are actually uh, uh, played and we'll have a lot of perspective, insight, and much more on the Final Four later in the week. So it's Elite Eight conversation off the wins this weekend. Analysis, insight from our analysts and experts. Here we go. Let's get it all underway as part of college basketball coast to coast. Yeah, who better to go to than a guy that was right there, OL, on location, Capital One Arena, Washington, D.C., East Regional Final that goes to Michigan State, 68-67. They're back in the Final Four. Once again under Tom Izzo, this time at the expense of the number one overall seed, Duke. Let's go to Ari Russell, who I I have been around now for the better part of 15 years. You and I have been to many an amazing game, amazing Final Four game, national championship game. I, I guess the first thing is, for the audience that's hearing us wherever they are on college basketball, coast to coast, I, I don't know what you want to compare it to. What was it like to be in that arena for that drama, all those lead changes, and Michigan State KOs Duke, Ari? I mean, it was, it was great atmosphere. I mean, it, it, the crowd was mostly Duke, actually. Um, you know, so obviously, but it, it got it was loud at the end. I mean, it was exciting. You could tell. I mean, everybody was on there. I mean, everyone was standing up for the last couple, like minute fifty of that game, on the crowds. Um, you know, and and because it, it was just tight. Yeah, every every possession counted. It was just electric. And uh, you know, it, it what a contest. It's just unbelievable. Two of the best coaches, obviously, in college basketball. You uh, going head to head, just very, very good. Yeah, obviously you've got the Duke freshmen, you know that that are the the expectation was you know, coming in to win the championship this year. Um, but but I tell you what, the uh, the energy that that Michigan State brought here to DC this weekend was remarkable. It's just a well prepared, well designed execution. I mean, the last two games that Michigan State has played has been phenomenally executed. They're well prepared. Um, and they just came against Duke. I mean, they let Zion and pretty much do what he, he had to. It was hard to stop him, but they did everything they needed to do, forced, forcing 17 turnovers. I mean, that's just stepping it up. And then, you know, ice water down the stretch, hitting a big shot. It's, you know, that's, that's how you get to this point. That's how these teams go. The margin of, you know, the margin of error is very small. And uh, we saw really uh, what happened uh, today, why it was. You can't really – can't really do uh, too too much that that's going to hurt you or shoot you in the foot against a well prepared and very good coach team. And Michigan State really really played their their tails off here in the nation's capital. No doubt, uh, I got so many things. I don't have enough time to ask you. We don't have an hour for all the things that I want to ask you. 
But as this game was unfolding in the final five, in the final three minutes of it, did you have the sense that can Duke summon this again for a third straight game and find a way, whatever you want to call it, to escape, pull one out of the fire? I, I just had the sense that sooner or later, you and I have talked on many occasions about this, you keep living dangerously in the NCAA tournament multiple times, second time, third time, it's going to bite you. And I got that sense. Did you have that sense in the arena that this is a team, Michigan State, that can take advantage, hit the shots, and the magic is eventually going to run out because Duke could not put them away? Uh, I agree. I think that, um, you know, obviously playing with fire, being close, and the very close, I mean, Duke probably played some of the most exciting games in this tournament. Uh, you know, uh, participated in three excellent basketball games, just exciting down the wire, uh, all of them. And, uh, and this one was, was no different, but again, like you can't, you cannot live on that wire, that thin wire, uh, against the Tom Izzo type team that was so well prepared, especially to be honest with you, having a Cassius Winston, just having him really, he was the best player on the court today. Uh, just all around and, and having the bet when you're, when and we always talk about guard play is cliche, but guard play in the NCAA tournament is always huge. And today, to be honest with you, Cassius Winston was the best guard, the best player in the court. And you can't play with fire when it comes down to that. It's just not, you're not going to be able to get it done because at some point execution is going to matter. And as we saw, we saw here in, uh, in DC, whatever it's called now, the capital one arena, it changes names every five weeks. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But uh, you know, here it, it it just shows you that that you can't you can't live on the wire for too long. And you know, Duke wasn't able to put it away; they just weren't. And that's because Michigan State executed their game plan. And they just I, I, this is one of the more well prepared teams I've seen in the tournament in a long time. And it's not a fluke. I mean, they, I mean to your point, it's not a fluke. They won the Big Ten regular season. Uh, they won the Big Ten tournament. As you mentioned, he's a Hall of Fame coach. I know he had not had success against Mike Krzyzewski. This is only his second win in seven tries in the NCAA tournament against Coach K. Only 2-11 and 11 now in the last 13, but he got the latest one. He got the. It's not a fluke that an Izzo team would be tough enough. Veteran players. Uh, you talked to Kenny Goins off the Sweet 16 win over LSU. Goins hitting that money three-pointer. Um, this is not a surprise, Ari. This is not a fluke that Michigan State would be tough enough, rugged enough to make the plays and beat Duke. You were in the arena. Tell me more. Absolutely. No, I mean, again, like after after watching what they did to LSU, I mean, LSU was a team with full of energy playing with a chip on their shoulder, like we had mentioned in the Sweet 16 preview. Um, and they just, they really disposed of them. And the game plan was was excellent. And And again, you would look on paper, at least, you know, looking at warmups, LSU is definitely the larger, more athletic team, uh, longer and more lengths, uh, and, and they dominated. So after I saw that preparation, I'm like, oh, boy, this team is locked in. <laughs> this team is locked in. And I'm like, you know, as, as the game progressed and it, it maintained a very close margin, I mean, like we said, the, the, the amount of lead changes is insane. I believe it I'm, ended I'm up being, you witnessed a regional final that had at least 14, and I believe on the last one it may have been 15 lead changes in the second half. How, how aware, if at all, were you guys on, on the media row and in and around in the media that there were that many leads? It was remarkable to watch just back and forth. To, you know, Duke hits a shot, takes the lead. Michigan State takes it. Were you aware uh, that it had gone on that many? T- it was incredible. No. 
No, I mean, not really. That you really look back at the stat sheet, you got to look at it, and you're like, all right, what is, <laughs> we, we knew that there's a lot of lead changes. We're watching the game. It's close. I wasn't keeping track. That's not my job. But, but you know, I was looking at it, and, and it, it was just – I mean, all I knew is this game is close, and this game is going down the wire. And you yep. knew that pretty much – you knew that pretty much going into it. Uh, you knew that going into it, like with with the second half, how close it was. That it just you just kind of got that feeling in this in this particular case. Sure. So All right. um, you know, I, just, I believe that you know that that kind of it, the energy, especially in the press area, was very. You know, we just sat there. It was just everyone was really just focused. It was a great game. It was just a great basketball game. Was, you know, well, well played. And some of the shooting wasn't great. Um, you know, they both shot in the low forties, which isn't great. But but a well executed play, some excellent defensive plays. Even Zion had a beautiful block again. Oh, um, you know it just just very very well executed. Yep. Just two excellent teams, and one has to lose. Yep. You know, and Duke and, at this point had to lose. And Michigan State was that team. We'll talk about Zion Williamson in a moment or two. But I want to get to your post game interview in the aftermath of the regional final win. Ari was in the winning Michigan State locker room. Nick Ward, one of their heroes, a junior. Uh, finished with six points with five rebounds, playing 13 minutes, had a couple of buckets in that second half as well. So let's hear from him right now as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast. Uh, how much fun is has this weekend been? You know, this, is, this has been great. This whole experience has been up and a uh, roller coaster. A roller coaster, absolutely. And th- this game was a roller coaster. Just, just walk us through the final moments of what you were feeling, kind of especially when Kenny hit that shot. And I hear the assistant coach talk about he was the decoy, and he hits that big shot for the go ahead. Just talk about that. You know, just having faith and confidence in his jump shot was huge. You know, because Kenny hasn't really been hitting lately. But you know what? We had faith and confidence that Kenny hit the shot, and he did. How's your hand feeling? It feels great. It's more. Of a mental thing for me now. Is it, it's a mental thing. I, I bet you the win actually makes it feel much better, right? It did, yes, sir. Indeed, <laughs> So uh, playing with uh, Cash, Cash has had an unbelievable, mo- most outstanding player. I mean, what type of leader is he, and how much fun is it playing with him on? It's very fun. He's a fast first point guard. He's a great dude. He's very unselfish, and you know he puts other sports. How how difficult was it guarding uh, Zion in the post? You had a, you know just how hard is it? I would say it was really difficult in the post, more perimeter because he's quicker than he looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to tape up your ankles a little bit extra for this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not at all. Nah, I'm good on that. Now, now going, you guys are going to Minneapolis. You know, obviously, you know, we won the Big Ten. This is a team that obviously has a lot of confidence, but going into Minneapolis, uh, I know you got to enjoy this first, but, you know, this is something where you're looking to win this whole thing. I'm looking to win this whole thing, you know, take it one game at a time. And, That's know. a nice cliche. They force you to say that, though, don't they? No, they don't. They don't, they don't. <laughs> but, you know, it just just taking it one game at a time, being smart, and just playing, playing within each other. And, uh, you know, Coach Izzo, how is it playing with Coach Izzo? How much? I mean, you just—I know all the players have tremendous admiration. Saw Magic here, saw Mateen here. You know, how much all the, with Izzo and what he has, and some of the old players? Do they ever uh, kick any wisdom to you? Uh, a little bit, you know. Uh, they just tell us what to expect and stuff like that, and um, just keep pushing. Keep pushing. Yep. Keep pushing. Well, congratulations. Uh, bring an extra layer because it's supposed to be nice and cold in Minneapolis this weekend. And uh, good luck there, and once uh, you the Final Four. Thank you. Nice job with the interview yet again, Coach Ari, as I like to call him. He's uh, he's like my assistant, like my wingman. I'm always looking to, to have him diagram something for me. Uh, you, you did a great job there grabbing another player one-on-one after it was over. 
for Michigan State to get the win. You know, he mentioned Cassius Winston. You've already said that uh, about the way that he played. He's talking about playing for Izzo, the toughness. A quick one. How much we saw what Purdue did toe to toe with Virginia. We know Michigan was in the championship game last year. They were two seed in, in this tournament. How much did the Big Ten and playing in the Big Ten down the stretch in the Big Ten tournament help this Michigan State team be as good as what you saw against LSU and Duke this weekend, Ari? I think it, they played a huge role. It just very prepared, playing against all different types of looks the whole year. Uh, you know, physical league, very well played. Again, very well executed teams that they you know gave Purdue. I mean, we saw Purdue, Purdue look phenomenal this tournament. I mean, you know, they to say that Purdue also deserved to to, to make it. We really had the great regionals uh, this year. Uh, probably probably one of the best ever. Um, but but. For as far as the Big Ten season, there's no question. And I had asked uh, Kenny Goins uh, after they they won against LSU about the Big Ten, and he and, and that's what he said. He said, you know, it's definitely prepared us. It helps us. It's the best league. He's obviously biased, as he said it himself. But uh, it, it it definitely prepares you for for these types of moments. But again, at, at the same time, flip side ACC. I mean, that's another tough conference. So obviously, you had two number one seeds. Uh, no, three. Number three of them, seeds, right? Believe, right. Three, three number one seeds, right? right? So, like, you know, it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you could also say the ACC season prepared Duke for this moment. At the end, it was just two excellent teams, and, you know, the clock strikes zero, and only one can, can come out ahead. And that's, you know, I, I think it, it, it definitely helped. I think that it, especially for Winston, having, like I said, having the, the, the point guard really is the advantage here. It's always guard play. I go back to that. But, but him battling through the Big Ten, and he's a Big Ten player of the year, well, there you go. It shows you everything you needed to see. And it's a senior. And, uh, it's it, a senior. And, and Trey Jones, for all the accolades and the success, four points, five assists. He did play all 40 minutes, but he had nowhere near the impact. And some of that was Winston guarding him. And you know this, Ari, back and forth. But, yeah, that's yeah. that's another part of it. All right, uh, just a couple more quick minutes left. Ari Russell with me. Ari will be with me and with us on our coverage on college basketball coast-to-coast when we get to Minnesota coming this weekend on this program, on our live coverage on TuneIn for college basketball coast-to-coast. Can't wait uh, to see him and be back around him in person. But he was at the East Regional Final uh, OL on location uh, for the Michigan State win, the upset win over Duke as Michigan State has punched its ticket, the final of the four teams. They will play Texas Tech. Virginia now will play Auburn in the semifinal game. Zion Williamson, great, great uh, Duke class of freshmen led by Zion Williamson, who seemingly made every huge play he could make. 24 points, 14 rebounds, three blocks, three more steals. Uh, again, your assessment watching him in that regional final, um, uh, I'll let you speak to what you saw. It's obviously his final game. He's on to the NBA, but what about it, Ari? Well, he's a man amongst boys. I mean, he's just uh, – you can't really – you see it. You watch it, and that's where it speaks for itself. I mean, his his explosive first step, his you know ability to, to, to really pass out the post. And by the way – Speaking of preparation, again, there was a couple times where Cassius Winston jumped in the lane. You could tell that's a vast scouting report. Uh, but but usually he makes those passes pretty clean. I mean, unselfish player. It was hitting shots from the three-point game. That really kept him in the game a couple of times when it looked like Michigan State was making runs. 
Zion is out here hitting a big shot here or there, making a defensive play. I mean, he's all over the court. You know, he's constantly moving, setting screens. I mean, he does everything you'd ask of him to do. And and not only that, he's a very gracious young young guy. Mm. Um, you, I feel for him. I feel for him. You know, and he was very you know distraught. Him and Barrett. And I hate how they have to like drag him out and make him do these post games where people ask stupid questions. It's just <laughs> how do you feel? how do you think they feel? Really? Right. I mean, these guys just played their butts off. They're trying to win this championship here. You know, there's all these expectations, and you're going, how does it feel? Like, come on, man. Everyone knows. And these are 18-year-old kids. Like, come on. Like, you know, he was emotional. Well, we saw it. We saw it with Trey Jones having to be helped up by a couple of teammates crying. Of course, seven days ago, it was the UCF players on the floor uh, crying in Columbia, South Carolina, as Duke had upended them and survived by a point. And now a week later, Duke is dealing with the devastation. And, that, and that's the thing, because for two more teams on Saturday and one more team next Monday night at the Final Four, it ends the same way. It, it ends with a loss that crushes. It, 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 that's right. It ends with a crushing loss that ends your season no matter when it comes. So uh, that was tough to watch, but it, I mean, he's remarkable. He, I mean, it is, it, it is, uh, it is crazy to watch that athleticism at that size at that young of an age with shooting touch. I mean, we don't make him out to be the greatest college player of all time. No, no, but but, but good but he's, lord, he's one of his generation. Good lord, player. that that yeah. talent, the ability to take people off the dribble, the ability to hit the outside shot, tremendous defender too. What a future he's going to have, and and for and Duke, high, they have to reload. Go ahead, and and high basketball IQ. I mean, not only that, but he has a high basketball IQ. So like, not only does he have all of that, but he knows how to play the game the right way. He's yep. not just raw talent. He's talent, but he's refined talent, and he's only 18 years old. That's the crazy thing about okay. it. He's just, it's remarkable. You it know, is. Just to see all of it. It's a complete package. No doubt. And, and, you know, I was just thinking this, too, while we were going back and forth about it. You see remarkable performances from players that don't make it, as it turns out, to the Final Four. Carson Edwards, amazing NCAA tournament for four games, shooting the basketball. Tw- record 27 three-pointers made in four Perfect. games. And he doesn't get to go to the Final Four. You look at what Steph Curry did a decade ago yeah. in the 2008 tournament where he lit it up everywhere. They, they had the great comeback against Kansas in the regional final. Uh, as a Memphis fan, I'm, I'm now uh, reliving a nightmare again that if, if Steph Curry could have knocked Kansas out, maybe Memphis wins the national championship in 08. Instead, <laughs> Kansas did. But as great as Steph Curry was, they didn't get to the Final Four. As amazing as Shaquille O'Neal was as an individual talent in LSU, he never even came close to sniffing the Final Four. It shows well, you how yeah, Ari, my point. Kenny for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kenny, Ander- Kenny Anderson helped knock them out uh, from Georgia Tech. Uh, but uh, it just shows you how uh, difficult it is, even as great as you are individually, how difficult it is to get to where we're headed once again at the Final Four. It's it's elusive, and as great a talent as Zion Williamson was, and he had talent around him with Reddish and Barrett and Trey Jones, they couldn't get there on a Coach K team. They couldn't get there. A mm-hmm. couple more on strategy. I know you got to go. At the end of this one, Duke had fouls to give. How aware were you in the arena? Were you guys talking amongst yourselves that with two minutes left, they, they have three team fouls? And you got to think about, we've got to give a foul or two to make them waste time and reload. And then if we need to give a foul at the end to put them at the line, we have a chance. Because I, And this is not hindsight. This was a first guess, when I, first blush when I was looking at it. 
because then you got to the final 10 seconds and there was no way you could foul him enough to put him on the line if you couldn't steal the ball, Ari. How aware were you guys? Was it being discussed? Very, not really too much discussed. I think it was just, um, you know, overlooked. I, we, you know, we, it, it is one of those things that it is in hindsight, you look back and like, wow, it's a double-edged sword for that though. You know, as far as strategy is concerned, because on one end, not having a lot of fouls just shows that you're playing really efficient defense, especially the way it was. They still held them to to under uh, 40, you know, 40 uh, or 42% shooting or something like that. Close to that. 41, 42% shooting. That's still pretty good defense without fouling. And, you know, that's efficient defense, as they would say. So that's the one end of the sword. The other end of the sword is that it's close and you miss a couple of shots, you miss a couple of free throws. You know, you're SOL. Like you're not able to, uh, to, to, to stop the clock. So, you know, as far as strategy is concerned, it's a double-edged sword. And uh, you know, we, we, we weren't really paying that much attention to that. You know, we I understand. just thought that they were playing. Another one and along those good. lines. Yeah, another one yeah. along those lines. In the in-game strategy with Duke, down by two, they didn't go to Zion with Zion being double-teamed. And instead, going to the basket, it was Barrett trying to make the play. I thought he went early as well. What concerned me was you still got almost six seconds left on the clock. I know you're thinking about a rebound. But, uh, I mean, you don't want to leave them time, even if you're able to make the hoop, not a three, a two, or make the two free throws to leave them time. He got fouled, and you're right, he misses the first free throw. That Was the gasp audible in the arena from the Duke fans especially, yeah. obviously? Yeah, uh, 100%. You, you heard it. It was, oh, man, yeah, it was bad. Because then it's like, okay, you either miss the second one, he tried to miss the second one yes. to get the rebound, but he, he made it. Because so that at that really, point, at that point, you knew that okay, even if he makes and you're down one, we can't, we don't have enough time with fouls to give to put them at the line yep. before they can run the clock out. It was just bizarre. Exactly. Is the is the best word exactly. to put that up there uh, on how yeah. this ends, and then they they end it with throwing the ball into Cassius Winston, and he races around and runs the clock out, and what a moment for Michigan State to be back in the Final Four for the first time since 2014 when they were in North Texas uh, under Tom Izzo. Uh, Great job with that. Final thought from you. I always love your insight. Again, we're headed to Minnesota with Michigan State to play Texas Tech now. And again, the other semifinal, the first game up will be Auburn and Virginia. Final thought from what you watched on Sunday and what an epic game. Oh, it was just, I mean, just a great way to cap off this this weekend. Um, You know, we had two games, the late games, obviously the, you know, yesterday, I mean, on the, on Friday night, it was, uh, you know, the second game was close. Duke obviously beating Virginia Tech in a barn burner. And then, again, to close it out with, you know, one of the better games of the tournament with Michigan State going down the wire. I mean, it's just with two high-level programs, just a tremendous energy. It's the best – this is the best that you get in the sport, you know. And we're not even at the Final Four yet. That's, that's the best part is that we're not even at the Final Four yet. And we already – and sometimes the Elite Eight games are, 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 are the best ones you get anyway. Sweet 16, Elite Eight, sometimes, sometimes the – Final fours are sometimes lopsided. This year, I don't know. Uh, this is going to be this is a crapshoot now, um, you know. But just it, the intensity that these guys, these kids, these young people really throw out there—it's just they really put everything out there, and they really, um, you know, put everything out on the floor. And, and just how tr- this high-level basketball at, at the best, at, at the most important time, and just seeing execution and seeing coaches and, and just seeing you know these players these these young guys the zion williams is embarrassed the world who are going to be making millions of dollars you know next year at this time um you know it's it's 
it's it's interesting. And then you see this the senior leadership kind of come in and, and, and show how that's important and just the, the layers of, of, of intensity and, and competition at this level is, is so much fun. You know, we'll take I, I won't get into the rant of the exploitation. They, that's a whole other conversation. Right. But just from a competition standpoint, I mean Phenomenal. you can't really ask for a better. Phenomenal. It was for Coach all four K. games, and including the game that ended there. You saw Coach K, Hall of Famer, and, and Tom Izzo and those teams yeah. battle, and Duke Duke played three consecutive games that came down to the final shot, basically at the buzzer, winning by one, right. winning by two, losing by one. It gets no more dramatic than that, and now Michigan State no. has eliminated the number one overall seed. Ari Russell, great job. Follow him on Twitter, at Ari Russell. I'm looking forward to being with you in Minnesota. Michigan State coming with us, not Duke, for that Final Four. Thank you, Ari. Great work on the East Regional Final, sir. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And a reminder, college basketball coast-to-coast brought to you by Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. Trying to get into that Final Four Saturday or the National Championship game Monday. Don't forget to go to Vivid Seats, the Vivid Seats mobile app for the U.S. Bank Stadium layout. They've got uh, great selection, great customer service, 100% guarantees on your transaction at Vivid Seats. And use the promo code TJBASKETBALL10 to take 10% off your initial order. 10% off your initial order at Vivid Seats, promo code TJBASKETBALL10. Love to uh, to have some of you join us at the Final Four inside U.S. Bank Stadium. Go to Vivid Seats, the Vivid Seats mobile app for your tickets for Final Four Saturday or the championship game in Minnesota. Use the promo code TJBASKETBALL10. My goodness, my goodness. We now know the Final Four headed to Minneapolis for 2019. It will be the Michigan State Spartans taking on Texas Tech and the Virginia Cavaliers and the Auburn Tigers, two teams that have never been in terms of Texas Tech and Auburn, a Virginia team that's been twice but never won it, and a Michigan State franchise that you you have to look at that school at that program and say okay they they are the ones that have been there as a program a national title in 79 with Magic Johnson who was in the stands on a Sunday night in in Washington DC a title in 2000 for Tom Izzo in Indianapolis numerous trips to the elite eight of the final four since then now they're back in the final four you got to look at Michigan State and say for the coach that's been there, the program that's been there, maybe they have the advantage, maybe not. So the Final Four is set. Welcome back in. It is College Basketball Coast to Coast. Let me get some more insight and historical perspective combined from Matt Zimmick, cbbtoday.com. Love his work on that site. Love his work on this podcast. I don't know where to begin. And just as a general comment, this was remarkable drama and theater for all four games. We can't oversell it, Matt, can we? No, I don't think you can. Uh, you know, there are, there are two elite eights, this being one of them, that stand out uh, in, in history as the best elite eights, the best collections of four games ever. And we're going to discuss that on our show. But, I mean, when you can say this is legitimately, you know, one of the two best elite eights ever since <laughs> the NCAA tournament began to be seeded in 1979 – uh, you know that's pretty spectacular. So uh, it, it, it's not hyperbole. It's not embellishment. It's the real deal. No doubt. And we'll talk more about that 2005 Elite Eight because Matt's such a great historian of the game, and I love the game and have a great sense of history too, and we'll reminisce and compare for a couple of minutes here a little bit later on. 
Okay, so let's begin with what happened on Saturday. I, I know we spent a lot of time earlier in the podcast talking about Duke and what happened Sunday with Ari Russell, who was in the arena. Uh, Saturday, tremendous performances. First, Texas Tech and a, and a very valiant one seed, Gonzaga, went toe-to-toe. Let's begin with that game as the Red Raiders, as I mentioned, win the rest West Regional. They're now in the Final Four for the first time in program history. And a take from Matt Zimmick, please. Well, you know, the main thing that we talked about when we previewed this game, TJ, was could Texas Tech muck it up, make it an ugly game, you know, just get get Gonzaga into a mud wrestling match. And, and that's exactly what happened in the second half. First half was Gonzaga's pace, but Texas Tech, something it did throughout this game, it had enough offense. You know, I was skeptical of Texas Tech's ability to have enough offense, to hit enough threes. But Moretti and Mooney, the supporting cast around Jarrett Culver, definitely delivered the goods. And then, you know, Texas Tech just rattled and bothered Gonzaga in the second half. And I think that the absolute centerpiece of this game, it wasn't Brandon Clark's large number of turnovers. He had five turnovers, uh, I believe, in the game, which is rare for him. But even more than that, it wasn't the turnovers. It was the long, quick hoist by Gonzaga, and I'm talking specifically about Zach Norvell. He hit a like a 30-foot three early in the second half, and I so often see this in March, that you see somebody hit a very long shot, a bad shot, and that's fool's gold. And that person, you know, keeps just hoisting away, and of course, then all those, those same 30-footers, which he thinks are good shots, or which he's willing to keep taking, they, they miss. You know, Gonzaga has Hachimura and Perkins and all of these other weapons, but with Norvell taking quick 28, 30-footers, that just took Gonzaga out of its game. It it gave away possessions, even though they weren't turnovers. They were were basically very bad shots. And Texas Tech just got inside Gonzaga's noggin and uh, created just so many poor possessions, and those poor possessions kept adding up. Give the Red Raiders of Chris Beard a lot of credit. They were in the Elite Eight last year. They learned from it. They lost the the eventual national champs, Villanova. They were tougher. They were better. That's why they're still alive. That's why they get the shot at Michigan State. So in the chronology, let's move up to Saturday night and Purdue and Virginia. And we have had some time now to digest this game for over 24 hours the time you and I are talking remarkable regional final incredible shot making Carson Edwards and the rest of his Purdue teammates incredible shot making for Virginia uh, with Guy and and they're they're burying the threes as well again you have the floor Matt Zimmick of of what was a an amazing overtime game that Virginia tied on a frantic play at the end of regulation and then won in overtime well let's go with that play first you know, Virginia has taken so many shots and criticisms from people over the past five years. You know, this this has been the third time in the past uh, six NCAA tournaments that Virginia has been a number one seed. But people were skeptical of the Cavaliers because their offense was viewed as a Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal offense, kind of like Bo Ryan before Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker came aboard to supercharge it and bring it into the 21st century. You know, kind of a 2007 uh, Bo Ryan offense, uh, you know, Virginia with Tony Bennett, son of Dick Bennett, you know, who led Wisconsin to the 2000 Final Four, 
and that Root Canal National Semifinal against Michigan State, fifty-three <laughs> Remember it well. Uh, I was in. I was in the uh, Hoosier Dome, the old Hoosier Dome that they tore down, the RCA Dome. I don't know if you were there that day in some of your previous duties, but painful is right. It was painful to watch. Continue. Yeah. So I mean, Tony Bennett carries that that knock from national commentators that his offenses are terrible and they're not made to win in March. So on that final play, what did we see? We saw a very stylish play from Virginia. We saw a team that was drilled to run that play, the back tap off the missed free throw. Kihei Clark, a freshman, had the presence of mind to not throw up a 47-foot heave from midcourt, but to look for a teammate and to throw a very fast and very accurate one-hand push pass. I mean, if that pass sails, or if the pass is inaccurate such that Mamadi Diakite can't catch, fake, and immediately shoot that ball, he either misses it or it's, or it's late or both. And so Clark's presence to throw that pass in that situation with that accuracy, that's coaching. I mean, it's, yeah. it's certainly a freshman you know, being really smart and knowing what to do, but that's also coaching. And so Tony Bennett had his team ready to make a big offensive play. Virginia saved its bacon at the offensive end of the floor with Carson Edwards making all of these ridiculous Steph Curry-like shots. So Virginia didn't just win and get the monkey off its back, and Tony Bennett didn't just finally get to his first Final Four. They did it in a stylish way, and that's something which matters just as much as the fact that Virginia won itself. That's that's a big storyline. Uh, no doubt. Kyle Guy, again, had, had struggled throughout the NCAA tournament. He made five three-pointers, five of 12. Ty Jerome made four of them. They needed all of those threes to keep them in it. Finally, Carson Edwards missed a couple, especially in the overtime, and Virginia survives. And so now uh, I've said this uh, in the aftermath, I'll say it here, we'll say it again, that you definitely have the stigma forever. Virginia, the first one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed, but now attached to it, not all the same players, the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed who returned the next year and made the Final Four as a one seed. No, they aren't the same thing because one seeds make the final four all the time, but nobody's ever done this before where you overcame the horror of last year and climbed the mountain and got to the final four that everybody believed you should have been in all along uh, for the first time under Tony Bennett. So give them a lot of credit. Plenty of time to talk more about Virginia. And again, Purdue was valiant. Let's move along with Matt Zimmick and talk Auburn, Kentucky Sunday. This is the first time I'm getting analysis and breakdown on this edition of college basketball coast to coast off the elite eight. Auburn finds a way to rally and beat Kentucky. Part of it again, free throw awareness month, which ended on Sunday with the hashtag FT awareness month. Kentucky missing foul shots, Auburn making big plays, hitting shots, and they beat the Wildcats in the SEC showdown to go to the Final Four for the first time ever. Again, Matt, your thoughts? Well, this was a stunner because... Uh, five weeks ago in Rupp Arena, it was Kentucky 80, Auburn 53, and the game wasn't even that close. It really was like a 40-point beatdown. Uh, Kentucky put in uh, reserves, you know, the final 10 minutes or so. And then Auburn didn't have Chuma Okiki in this game. And, and, you know, it seemed very logical to think that Okiki was an absolute necessity on the glass with his size, his length, his energy. He was, he was Auburn's best player 
in the, in the middle of that Sweet 16 game against North Carolina when he got injured. So you'd think that P.J. Washington and Reed Travis were just going to feast. And, you know, P.J. PJ Washington did play really well, and he did dominate the final three minutes of regulation to enable Kentucky to overcome a, 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 a deficit of a few possessions and push the game into overtime. But uh, the, 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 the Auburn needed Jared Harper and Bryce Brown to be great in this game, and they were. I mean, Harper really was the dominant figure on the court, even more than P.J. Washington was for U.K. late. Uh, one of the things that Harper did, we all know that he's really quick getting to the cup, and that was huge. And Ashton Hagens really did not play a very good defensive game against him. But the other thing, as part of Free Throw Awareness Month, and why I'm the unofficial, unelected president of the American Free Throw Advisory <laughs> Board, you will note you will note, and I'm going to get to Kentucky first, I mean later, but first with, with Harper, he made two front ends in the final, uh, in the final moments. And he, uh, an, another Auburn player uh, was fouled on the eighth Kentucky team foul. Uh, but, but, but Auburn was able to get the ball to Harper for two of those three front ends, and he made them. If you have someone else shooting those front ends, not as reliable as Harper, Auburn gives away a couple other possessions, and Kentucky possibly wins that game. But because the right man was shooting front ends in two of those three occasions, after Kentucky's seventh, eighth, and ninth fouls, Auburn was able to stitch together enough points to win that game. And then about Kentucky, we, we've mentioned this. P.J. Washington struggled at the foul line against Kansas State in the Sweet 16 a year ago, struggled against Houston late on Friday, struggled here. And, and so he never really solved his free throw shooting problem. I thought that his conditioning being yep. markedly better this year, something John Calipari noted throughout the season, I thought that improved conditioning would be the difference. But one thing I noticed, TJ, PJ Washington has what we call a busy shooting motion. He's moving his shoulders and his arms. There's a lot of activity before the shot. You want to be quiet. You want to calmly take the ball one fluid motion, Washington has a, way too much action going on with his, with his arms and his shoulders to have a, a soft touch and a consistent delivery, and that's definitely what came yep. back to bite him at the foul line. And it was, it was really part of a weekend in which the Blue Blood teams on CBS did not find their inner Tom Selleck. They did not restore order, and this is why they catapulted out of the tournament. Oh, you even got a Magnum PI reference uh, in there uh, as well, or Law and Order with Restoring Order, or uh, I'm sorry, Blue Buds, I think, uh, the, the cop show uh, as well. Get my CBS show straight. Matt Zimmick with me for just a few more moments. Uh, again, Kentucky bounced out. So John Calipari, again, seven Elite Eight appearances in his Kentucky career, but uh, once again, they don't get it done in a regional that's set up for them to make the Final Four. They don't even get to the Final Four. Matt's going to be writing more on cbbtoday.com. Look for the article about coaches and droughts. Mike Krzyzewski, yes, he's got a national title in 2015, but you look at the at the number of Final Fours over the last 10, 15 years, and now Tom Izzo gets back in one, but uh, Matt will be writing about that. All right, I'll give you the floor for about 30 to 60 seconds um, because we talk so much about Michigan State and Duke. What do you want to say about that ending where Michigan State comes out on top and they advance to the Final Four? 
Well, you know, this game bore an eerie resemblance to the Duke-Virginia Tech game. You had Michigan State missing a lot of shots within three feet of the basket, much as Virginia Tech did, uh, and, and also Michigan State committing some silly turnovers. But, you know, we, the, the weaknesses of Duke that we talked about the whole season, we've talked about this on a lot of different podcasts, TJ, the three-point shooting and the foul shooting. And, you know, the foul shooting – Duke was really like Kentucky these past three games. Kept playing close games. You think this? So this is going to embolden them, and they're finally going to blow the, the the lid off their next opponent. But it never happened. So they kept getting in these close games. They kept failing at the foul line, and it finally caught up with them. Caught up with R.J. Barrett. Caught up with Zion at the foul line. And so even though an opponent was not finishing plays, Duke's offense could not create a working margin. Once again, went down to the final moments. And again, this time Duke paid the price. The third time was yep. not the charm for yep. Duke and Kentucky, both playing their third straight close game on Sunday. Well said, Matt Zimmick. And, and again, uh, as we said with Ari Russell, I believe it was 15 second half lead changes. Just an incredible regional final on the heels of the well-played Virginia-Purdue game uh, on Saturday night with all the made shots and all the drama. Wow. Wow to watch all this unfold. And, and I, you know, I make reference again to 2005, and that year I'll go over the quick litany where Illinois as a one seed had a great comeback down by, what, 14 points in the final four minutes, came back and beat Arizona, won in overtime, made the final four. That was Michigan State over Kentucky, where Kentucky had tied the game with a three. Patrick Sparks with a three-point shot that touched the rim four times and went in at the end of regulation to force overtime. Michigan State still won the overtime and won the game and went to the Final Four in that one. Louisville came back from 20 down in Albuquerque to defeat New Mexico or to beat uh, West Virginia. West Virginia and John Beeline had made all those threes, Matt. Louisville came back, scored late with Larry O'Bannon tying the game with a layup, won the game in overtime, and then North Carolina played a hotly contested game uh, with with uh, Wisconsin and won, what, 88-82. That's the other reference point with four games like what we saw this past weekend. That's the only, the only equal, at least in this century. It's incredible, the drama that we saw coming off this weekend to set the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, so the 2005 and 2019 Elite Eight, they stand above the rest. Uh, It's remarkable, though, that, you know, before we get into recency bias, and I know that these games were very enjoyable, but I really do think that 2005 is better because you had three games going into overtime, and uh, that's, that's a little bit more than what we had this past weekend. Now, you know, Gonzaga, Texas Tech was the equivalent of North Carolina, Wisconsin, and then, of course, the other three games were, were played at, at a higher plateau. Uh, you know, also part of that was, you know, the Illinois comeback against Arizona from that weekend mm. in 2005. Mm. We need to remember this. That was a 15-point Arizona lead with four minutes left and an eight-point lead with one minute left. And Illinois got the steal and the Darren Williams three in the final minute uh, to get to score five points in like in in like five seconds, you know that that was the key sequence which which swung everything to Illinois. And the fact that Illinois was playing in the I believe that was the Rosemont Horizon. You're correct. Uh, you know, so that was basically an Illinois home game. You put that game in maybe any other arena in the Midwest, maybe like the Bradley Center in Milwaukee or uh, yeah, an arena in Detroit, you know Ford Field in Detroit. 
maybe it doesn't turn out that way, but in that location, you know, it was a true Illinois home game and Arizona felt that domino effect. So the emotional swings and the massive comebacks uh, were remarkable. And that's something you didn't have uh, to, to, to the same extent in, in the 2019 Elite Eight. So I'm going to put 2005 ahead, but if you wanted to say 2019, I wouldn't make too much of an argument, but you would have to argue you argue your case very specifically. I love that. This guy loves to argue the case very specifically. Does a great job writing for CBBToday.com. Love the insight. I know you got to run, and we do as well. Coming off the Elite Eight, we now know the Final Four, which again, up first will be Virginia and Auburn, followed by Michigan State and Texas Tech. Matt Zimmick, I look forward to talking with you about those matchups and the historical perspective later in the week here on the show, on the podcast, as we head towards the weekend. Thank you for the time here. We'll be reading you at cbbtoday.com uh, for all of this coming off the Elite Eight and heading to the Final Four. Thank you, sir. Great work here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Thanks. There's a lot of stuff on Monday at cbbtoday.com. College Basketball Coast to Coast brought to you in part by LRT Sports and their great recruiting service rating coaches and universities. If you are a parent, a friend, a relative of a high school recruit, maybe you're a high school recruit yourself and listening to us, don't get caught up here in the madness. Bust your bracket, not your recruiting process. Go to lrt-sports.com. Find out more about their rating service of all the different schools for free. Coaches reviews, university reviews, all of it. It's lrt-sports.com. Yes, the Elite Eight in the books. We now know the Final Four. We're back in on college basketball, coast to coast. And again, however you found the show, through Spreaker.com, CBBToday.com with Joe Nardone, Matt Zemick, and that great site. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. The audience growing and growing as we thought it would throughout March, and we're headed to the Final Four. Final Four preview podcast coming later in the week. Podcast as well from Minneapolis. We will be there live, and a man that will be there with me as uh, my analyst yet again. We're doing this for about 15 years now. Sirius XM, Fox Sports Radio, and tune in as well as college basketball coast to coast is Mark Wise, who's back with me. Does a great job with the ESPN family of television networks, Florida Gators radio broadcast, etc., etc. All right, I've not had a chance to talk to you since the four Elite Eight games have been played. First of all, general comment, my lord, you could not have scripted four more hotly contested dramatic games, sir. Well, I felt like I was on Broadway because the theater was high, the drama was high, um, wonderful performances. Uh, uh, you know, when you look at th- these games and these matchups, you know, it comes down to a, a, a certain play or a made shot, a missed shot, a missed call, a made call. And so that, that formula that I talk, talk about using, if you want to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, that very last one, somewhere along the way, the basketball gods have got a smile on you. And you can make a case for each of the four winners that they had that happen either in this weekend or in all very first game of the tournament where they fouled at the end. New Mexico State had three free throws down two with 1.7 to go and missed two of the three. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Auburn uh, knocked the ball out of bounds and they had a wide-open look down uh, by one did New Mexico State 
to win the game. It, it ended up being a three-point attempt that was an air ball. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. They could have been beaten on their first game by New Mexico State, a 13 seed, instead Auburn in the Final Four. So I want to go game by game with how well these were played and give you an opportunity to take a swing at each one of those. So let's start with Saturday, West Regional, Anaheim, and Texas Tech makes their first ever Final Four. Your thoughts looking back on that one, Mark Wise? Do you remember what I said in preview mode? I was concerned about Gonzaga's shot selection from their guards. Yep. When I saw them lose to St. Mary's uh, in the finals of the WCC tournament, I, I really think at times the guards forget where their bread is really buttered. And I thought they had an advantage with Texas Tech by throwing the ball inside. Uh, I thought Zach Norvell forced shots. I thought his shot selection was poor. He went two for nine from the arc. Hachimura, you know, he goes 0 for three from the arc. Kispert goes 0 for two. So uh, they took 44% of Gonzaga's shots in that game were threes. And and they made 55% of their twos. Uh, That tells me you need to pound the ball inside, you know, if your guards are shooting more than your, your big guys, and Brandon Clark, I think, took 10 shots in a game, and Norvell took 11, and Perkins took 13, I think. Um, I, I just think they lose focus sometimes in terms of where their best matchup is, and that cost them in that game. Now, that's not to say that Texas Tech didn't play marvelously, the, what Chris Beard has done, mm. uh, n- not just this year getting to the Final Four, but having to retool after he lost the players he lost a year ago. And, oh, by the way, let me throw this out, TJ. I know that you know that my son is on the staff at Little Rock. Yep. Chris Beard coached at Little Rock. Mm -hmm. Wes Flanagan, assistant at Auburn, was the head coach at Little Rock until he was let go a year ago. It looks to me like, if you want to get to the Final Four, you better coach at Little Rock. <laughs> Some kind of connection to Little Rock. And oh, by the way, six degrees of separation from Chris Beard and Little Rock. TJ Reeves and Mark Wise on the call on tune in of the Sun Belt title win by Little Rock three marches ago in 2016 when uh, they ended up winning the automatic bid and then winning an NCAA tournament game against Purdue. Beard eventually became the Texas Tech coach. He remember now he took the UNLV job in right. in uh, in mid March, uh, late March of uh, 2016, and then ended up a month later when Tubby Smith left Texas Tech to go to Memphis. Texas Tech was a job that he was very fond of. Beard had been an assistant under Bob Knight. He ends up bolting UNLV after taking the job, and the ink barely being dry on the deal uh, a month later. Uh, and 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 now, lo and behold, they're in the Final Four for the first time. Outstanding job. And again, we'll have more time later in the week to talk about the matchup with Michigan State and more about Beard and Beard's team and what they did, but very impressive. All right, so let's move to Saturday night, Mark Wise. And what was an epic Elite Eight game won by Virginia in overtime, dramatic shot at the end of regulation to force overtime, uh, with Diakite, the big the big guy for uh, Virginia, making the the shot on the helter skelter play with a second to go. Again, you have the floor. I've already given some comments about this game. We're going to talk more about it, but I want you to, to give me your thoughts first on an amazing game where Virginia advances to the Final Four. 
So many times we throw around the phrase, neither team deserves to lose, and, and very rarely is that the case. But that's the way I felt after this game. I was actually sick at my stomach for an hour. I've been, you know, I've, I've been in those situations where you lose that kind of gut-wrenching game. Uh, you know, I was on the staff when we, we lost in the, in the Final Four in 1980 to UCLA. I know that feeling, uh, that gut-wrenching feeling. I felt really good for Tony Bennett. Um, as you well know, as I have stated throughout the years, I'm not a fan of the style of play. Uh, I don't think that style of play has is equaled success in the NCAA tournament, and I have facts to back that up because did you know, going all the way back to 2012, UVA had not won an NCAA tournament game unless they scored 70 or more points. So the, the very style of play that they have thrived in, yeah, uh, they have really struggled in in the NCAA tournament. And this year, for the first time, they've not won not one, but two games in such low-scoring affairs when they beat Oklahoma 63-51 and then they beat Oregon 53-49. And until that last play, they had scored 68 points <laughs> in the game. So uh, this is by far his best offensive team, no question. I've said that all along. I feel good for them that, that you know, this win that that Tony Bennett had to get to the Final Four, that we've all seen the picture of him uh, cutting down the net where he's screaming. i, I got to tell you, that scream is not a UMBC scream. That scream is a six- or seven-year scream. Hmm. the buildup to get there. So I feel good for them, but I feel miserable for Purdue in what was a fabulous basketball Oh, game. no doubt. A couple more on that. I already raised the point with Matt Zimmick before you came on that they are forever known first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. And, and I'm not on the Virginia sports information staff. I'm not part of their PR but this is the truth. The two are connected forever. They are now the first number one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed to come back the following year as a number one seed and make the final four. They are forever. I mean, when you tell the story fair, don't you have to tell it that way? I don't think there's any question about it. You, you know, getting back to the game, it seemed to me like, and it was marvelous. I mean, we can talk about Carson Edwards and how good he was, not only in this game, but the entire tournament. But for UVA, it seemed like it's the first time that I can remember watching them in the last two months where Guy and Jerome both made shots in the same game. Mm -hmm. Combined, they were 9 of 22 from beyond the arc. Uh, it just seems like one has been off almost every game I've seen in the last uh, six weeks or so. At the end, uh, my comment about the end, I thought Purdue played it right. Um, I, I think you foul, and I'm a foul guy. I know yep. the numbers are pretty even in that. I'm a foul guy. So would they have liked to have fouled a second or two later? Well, of course, but who can control that in that kind of environment? So I liked the foul. Um, I thought it was interesting that Jerome admitted that he did not miss the second shot on purpose, that he just short-armed it. The tip out if you're Purdue and the ball gets tipped out all the way to backcourt, guess what? You're thinking, that's great. That's absolutely great. So Clark gets a lot of credit. Diakite gets a lot of credit for making the shot. He kind of shot puts the ball at the buzzer. The ball's in the air when the red light goes off. But I'm telling you this, TJ, 
If you set up the exact same scenario with the same time frame and you had no defense out on the floor, you tried to recreate it in practice, you wouldn't be able to do it one out of ten. That's right. how phenomenal that play was. And I, I, I've been saying uh, on and off the air, if Diakite shoots that shot four more times, I don't know that he makes it once. I don't. I, the right. one, the one that mattered, went in, uh, but it was just a crazy play. So, from a historical standpoint, they did not score as much uh, as the Duke Kentucky Epic Regional Final 1992 Philadelphia that ends on the Leitner shot to win by one. Granted, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, famous, famous, famous Duke, and they're the defending national champs as well. And they were going back to Minneapolis, by the way, going to Minneapolis for the first time for a Final Four. So I understand the gravity of all of that. That game Saturday night, to me, reminded me of that regional final in terms of offense. They didn't get as much scoring, but in terms of made shot, made shot drama. What about you, real quick? Uh, I agree. Uh, you know, us native Kentuckians, we always remember that game, not because of the outcome, not because of the latent shot, but that was Kaywood Leopard's very last game as, as, as the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. And of course, that's the way I grew up, uh, in the, in the late sixties and seventies was listening to Kaywood Leopard. So sure. for me, there was an emotional attachment to the game. But by that time, by the time the game was played and I was in coaching, I was in a different place in terms of Kentucky basketball, but, I, I get what you're saying, and I think I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I, I think this will go down as one of the all-time great NCAA tournament games, and maybe, uh, maybe right there with the Kentucky Duke game. Love the insight of Mark Wise. Follow him at MW Hoops. Mark will be with me later in the week. Ari Russell as well. Our buddy uh, Deshaun Tate will be talking from Minneapolis in the Final Four for these matchups with Michigan State, Texas Tech, and Virginia and Auburn. We're going through the Elite Eight in the recap mode here as part of college basketball coast-to-coast. One more, Carson Edwards, 27 made three-pointers in four games. That is the all-time record for an NCAA tournament, and he did it in four games. I I still go back to 30 years ago, Glenn Rice, with 27 made threes as well uh, in that six-game NCAA tournament as the greatest shooting performance that I've ever seen in terms of just catch and shoot. Shoot it from 20, 23, 25 feet over and over and over again. But good Lord, this was close. He made nearly everything, Carson Edwards, almost single-handedly down the stretch and in the overtime got Purdue in the Final Four. Just one more word about that shooting performance because we don't see that that often like that. TJ, how tall is Glenn Rice? Glenn Rice was what, 6'6", six, six, probably, 6'7"? Six, and how tall is Carson Edwards? I, if he's 6'2", uh, I'd be shocked. But not even close. No. Not even close. I'm telling you that Carson Edwards' shooting performance, better than Glenn Rice. Mm, just because of the size and create off the dribble and the, the step wasn't back? wasn't close to the arc. Yeah, wasn't and, even close to the arc, and uh, and they needed one more to fall to, to boiler up for the first time since Mark Wise mentioned he was on the staff in 1980 when they went to the Final Four on the cusp. Didn't get there. Great game. All right, so now we move to Sunday in the recap mode. You had warned us in the preview mode about Kentucky Auburn and how well Auburn obviously shot the three. Kentucky obviously controlled a lot of the game, had the lead for a lot of the game, and then Auburn goes on the scoring run. And a frantic final few minutes of another close game, and Auburn pulls it out. Your thoughts on it now that we're recapping Auburn winning in the regional final? 
Well, Bryce Brown got hot. Um, that That's kind of a, the SEC's coach's worst nightmare. You know what you're getting with Jared Harper night in and night out, and you know where you have to defend him. And wasn't he marvelous at his ability to get to the rim and finish? Bryce Brown is a streaky shooter, and you just cannot allow him to get going. And once he kind of saw the ball go through the net there in the first half, um, I, I just thought he was playing with so comp- so much confidence. But not to be lost in this game, two things come to mind. One is Auburn, I, I just didn't think they would be able to do it with Okiki's injury. I just, I, he's, a, he's a matchup nightmare for everybody in terms of his ability to score on the block and go out and make threes. But they got such good performances off the bench, and everybody uh, talked about Purifoy and the way he's been playing, but Wiley was just good enough. Austin Wiley off the bench, the big guy for Auburn who's missed so much time this year. So when you throw those two numbers together, Wiley and Purifoy, they went for 13-9, and almost a double-double off the bench. The other point that I would make, and I keep saying this, more big games are lost because you couldn't score versus you couldn't defend. I thought this was the case for Kentucky. Um, I thought, you know, Hero, Johnson, Hagens quickly, they all combined to go three for 17. As a matter Mm. of fact, Mm. um, uh, P.J. Washington made two of Kentucky's five threes in the game. The other factor that came into play, and T.J., nobody wants to talk about this, is Auburn kind of gambled that the game would be loosely officiated. I thought they did a marvelous job of bodying, uh, out-physicaling Kentucky's bigs, not because they couldn't get the ball, but where they ended up catching the ball. And so, um, they're, they're, you know, P.J. Washington or, or Reed Travis, they're catching the ball two good steps off the lane. So they had to go so far to get back into the scoring zone. I thought Auburn was effective in that way. Little things that lead to big things. Missed free throws again for Kentucky. It was their undoing, yep. as as Matt Zimmick yep. pointed out. It was the undoing last year in the Sweet 16 game with Kansas State, in part, in large part, a lot of missed free throws. And the missed free throws were front ends of the one-and-one one a couple of times. And in a two-point game or a one-point game, it becomes critical uh, there at the end. And, and Auburn, again, deserves a ton of credit uh, again, I put some comments out there, and, and they should be out there about Bruce Pearl. I mean, when you've got an assistant right. coach, Chuck Person, you know this, Mark. I'm not preaching it to you. When you've got an assistant coach who pled guilty two weeks ago to paying uh, families of players, and, and that's two of the players that were contributing yesterday, there's still a cloud over Auburn. There is still a cloud over Bruce Pearl, and yep. there should be on that. But still, put put that part aside. To beat Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky right in a row to go to your first Final Four, that's an amazing on-court accomplishment. Yes. No Absolutely. question about it. The, the dude can flat coach. I, I've always said that. I said that when he was at Tennessee. And I also think he gets the media better than most coaches. He gets a student involvement, getting out on campus. He gets, a, he gets it in so many different ways that I think most coaches don't get. But, and that's the part that bothers everybody, the but part. <laughs> and so we're going to have to, you know, see see what that uh, um, where that leads eventually. Yep, no doubt. Uh, it's gone on. Uh, he he was basically given a vote of confidence, a reassurance last season. It's gone on, and now Chuck Person in the and the federal system takes forever 
to to work through plead sentencing. So Chuck Person has pled guilty. He's looking at two years in prison. And again, it's important. It will be a backdrop in the final four. Two of the players, and you mentioned them, Austin Wiley and Purifoy, are two yep. of the players involved in this whole mess as it relates to Person and the paying of players. So uh, we'll we'll see. It is part of the backdrop, and again for Kentucky, it, it it just reinforces one more time how hard it is to win the whole thing or just to get to the Final Four because Calipari on the doorstep again can't even get the team to the Final Four. Yeah, great season. Uh, they won a, they they won uh, three NCAA tournament games to get to the cusp. But Auburn denies them, and Auburn goes to the Final Four for the first time. All right, so that builds up to the Michigan State-Duke game. Again, as I like to joke, you got to be proud of me. We've been talking uh, some 15, 16 minutes, you and I, and we haven't talked about Duke yet. It was the final game of the four against Michigan State in the Elite Eight. We've talked a lot about this game, so give me your thoughts, fresh here, of what you thought coming off of that game and how Michigan State won it by one. Well, again, it's the little things that we talk about. Duke had 17 turnovers, Barrett with seven, Zion with five. As a result, Michigan State got 13 more shots on goal. And TJ, in a game like this where you lose by one, uh, what if they had had six less shots instead of 13? So I, I thought that was the difference in the game. It gave Michigan State a chance to win at the end. Well, and the Spartans, with a veteran crew, with Cassius Winston, what we've been talking on this podcast, you and I have talked frequently years and years and years, when you have great guard play, a great guard like that, he almost willed them to be able to get the wings. Not the only guy that made the big shots or the big plays, but he was enormous uh, in that game. Say a little more about that, if you would. Well, again, if you want to... I, I'm going to go back to my same formula. Yep. If you want to make a deep run in the tournament, you've got to have pro talent. Number two is you've got to have great guard play. And I think because of Winston, Michigan State, and, and because of Izzo's coaching, they've been able to, to withstand uh, injury after injury. Uh, they've played with so many different lineups this year. It's really, in a lot of ways, because of Texas Tech and who they had to replace because of Auburn and the, and the injury to Okiki, because of Virginia and losing to UMBC, it's really an unlikely group that we will see in Minneapolis. And give uh, Tom Izzo credit. We were mentioning this with Matt Zimmick before you came on again. Mark Wise with me here. It's college basketball coast to coast. We'll be in Minneapolis and at the Final Four later this week as part of this podcast and the live shows. Uh, you got to give credit here to Tom Izzo for hanging in there. He's a tremendous coach. He had not had a good record head-to-head against Duke and Coach K. That's maybe being kind. He'd been awful. He had been one for the previous 11. They won right. the one that mattered, though, Sunday. He's now 2-11 and against Coach K, 2-7 and in the NCAA tournament. And I agree with you. There were a lot of people looking at this Michigan State situation when they lost to Illinois, who was bad in the Big Ten season in February, and lost another game to Indiana. Lost to IU twice. Lost to IU twice. That were wondering is this is this going to just flop? Instead, they they flipped a switch. Big Ten tournament in Chicago, and now they're back in the Final Four. He is a phenomenal Hall of Fame coach, a March coach for the ages. Period. Yes. One more time. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I'll give you one last thought, TJ. You know, we spent, and this is more directed at those who lost this weekend than those who won, but we spend all year talking about resumes and body of work, and we start talking about bracketology in January and February. 
and that body of work comes into play. And yet, once we get to the NCAA tournament, it's almost like we throw the body of work completely away, and you're judged by how you do in this tournament. Rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, that's the way of the world right now. I wish it wasn't that way, but I I keep coming back to Houston and what a great year they had. UCF and what a great year they had. Villanova, just to get back into the tournament with all that they had to deal with in terms of losing players that they didn't anticipate losing a year ago. So again, it's both, as you've heard me say so many times, this NCAA tournament, your ability to advance and your inability to advance is both the beauty and the curse of the NCAA tournament. Very, very true. I mean, Tennessee, they were they were the number one team in the country for seven straight weeks. They won 19 games in a row. Gonzaga had a phenomenal season where they didn't lose for basically two and a half right. months until the WCC championship game lost to St. Mary's. You know, again, you're ultimately judged by how you do in March and in the NCAA tournament, but we shouldn't lose sight that there's some teams that did have tremendous years. All right, a couple more moments left with you. You know where I'm headed because I pre-warned you. You've seen me on on social media. Uh, I've been on this soapbox. I'm not preaching again at you. I'm saying this to the masses, and I want some insight from you. We have got to address, as the sport of college basketball, the in-game situation, the review situation, and get it under control. Mark Wise, not once, not twice, but three times in the Sweet 16 slash Elite 8. For spots up for grabs in the Elite 8, if not the Final Four, we had a team without a timeout. Purdue, in the matchup with Tennessee, did not have a timeout left. And they went to do a replay review, and Matt Painter was able to gather his team and diagram a play, and that's the play that ended up being the Carson Edwards play out of the out of the corner uh the the virginia tech inbounds play against duke in the sweet 16 game on friday night buzz williams without a timeout was allowed to diagram a play while they did a replay review oh and then let's continue mark few and gonzaga against texas tech in the final minute without a timeout in a one score game was again able to diagram a play without a timeout during the review I have been doing the best that I can. i got to enlist the help of many others to scream it, I guess, along with me. How do we go about implementing a rule that says you can't have a situation where a coach gets to diagram a play when he doesn't have a timeout? We wouldn't allow it in any other facet of a game where, okay, you're at the foul line, but hey, come over here real quick for 10 seconds and I'll draw up a play. Or, uh, hey, somebody somebody uh, does something, uh, you know, the ball goes out of bounds and you you run over quickly to the coach and let him diagram a play and we hold up play. There's no other facet where you would allow it to go on. And yet it went on three times this weekend. So my question to you is how do we go about implementing the change, the change that needs to be made because it really affected outcomes of games and potentially could have affected Duke being eliminated Friday night, could have affected Texas Tech being eliminated, and they're now in the Final Four. But go ahead. How do we affect it? Well, this is a rules-changing year. Um, That only happens every other year, every two years. So your timing is good. I would ask you a question in return. return. Uh, You're in favor of replay, correct? That is correct. Okay. So uh, what you're saying then is in this situation, you don't feel like the head coaches should be allowed a free timeout. So what? I don't hear your solution. What is the solution right. that you're offering? Should the, the team just 
stand out on the court. That's right. And not be able to communicate with you their have, head coach. That's right. You have preached. Okay, so uh, can they stand within five feet, ten feet? They can't be anywhere. Feet? They can't be anywhere near him where he can coach them and diagram a play as if he has a timeout because it's not a timeout in the timeout sense to gather around. And this is this goes back to the larger point of you have the Wild West right now. You have a rule that says, let's go review, but it doesn't have enough parameters around it of how long are you going to review. So if you want to stand there for four minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, and you obviously don't have a parameter for what I'm talking about, that you can't allow players to go be around a coach while he diagrams a play. So I'm not blaming the officials, the game officials, because there's not something in place that says you can't do that. I'm more next level. How do we implement the you can't do that part? We have you can't do that's all over the place right now. Right well, again, now, I, yeah, go right, ahead. Well, again, again, two thoughts. One is, in my mind, the replay supersedes or trumps what you're talking about. I, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. And secondly, if if you're th- thinking that coaches are not going to communicate with their players from 30 feet away, uh, all they're going to do, TJ, is get a bigger grease board. <laughs> they're they're going to diagram plays from 30 feet away. Maybe, maybe, but then others will be able to see it too. And I, I appreciate the fact that you go, I mean, a perfect example. They've done away with coaches being able to call a live ball timeout. The players right. have to be able to do it. And only in a dead ball where the ball goes out of bounds can a coach then say, okay, give me the timeout. Even after a made shot, a player has to do it. They've implemented that rule in terms of live ball uh, timeouts. Um, and, one, and one more, and we saw it in the Texas Tech-Gonzaga situation when Tariq Owens blocked the shot. His foot was out of bounds. They didn't end up seeing it. Uh, they didn't end up catching it. I mean, we talked about it with the end play for the Duke-UCF free right. throw. They didn't end up seeing it. At this point, here we go again with parameters in the Wild West. Uh, The end of the Virginia Tech-Duke game. I'm just listing the examples. We've got a Virginia Tech player's foot clearly out of bounds with the ball. Should have been Duke's ball. At this point, Mark, in 2019, we got to review everything in the final minute. If we're going to review things, we got to review it all because we got too many loose ends, too much Wild West of we can't go look at that. We're not. Why? Why? If we can all see. Are you with me on that one? I am with you on that one. Um, I, I'm I'm also of the opinion that I think um, a stopwatch is probably going to come into play at some point in yes. time. And if you make a decision in 60 seconds, then the call stands. And I, I get it. I'm part of the TV broadcast. I understand that all trucks are different, that control rooms are different, camera angles are different, the speed in which – um, uh, the producer can get the replays to the official are all different, but I'm with you on this one that I think there needs to be a stopwatch. It, and, and yes, a, a time limit on it. And, and it's, it's your bigger point. You, you know, again, uh, you, you, you're concerned about eliminating the human element altogether, but if replay helps you get the call right in the last minute i don't care where it comes from i'm with you and it's maddening that okay his foot is on the line so it's not a oh, it three wasn't on the line. it was in it was out of bounds it oh was sure over the line. oh sure but his foot is on the line for a three-pointer let's look at that to see if his foot is on the line but we can't look at his foot being out of bounds not a lot right. crazy crazy rein it in 
Uh, I'm off my soapbox for that. My friend, great job with talking Elite Eight. We now know, again, it will be Virginia and Auburn up first. It will be Michigan State and Texas Tech coming a half hour later, just before 9 Eastern time, 8 local time in Minneapolis on Saturday night. I'm anxious to talk with you in the preview mode on college basketball coast-to-coast later in the week for the actual matchups. But these were four incredible games, hotly contested. I mean, the sport... Uh, cannot cannot uh, stick its chest out enough, I think, coming off this weekend for what it had on display in D.C., Louisville, Kansas City, and Anaheim. It was phenomenal, Mark. One final comment. Well, again, a lot of people are, are a little bit disappointed that there wasn't the number of upsets that pe- people like to see, I guess. But you could not, could not complain about the drama and the theater that we saw this past weekend. Coach, thank you. Be talking to you in the preview mode later in the week. Could not get off of the Elite Eight weekend without talking to my man Tate's Take Sports. Deshaun Tate in Atlanta, who does a fantastic job with the terrestrial radio station 92.9 The Game, the FM sports talk station in Atlanta, is now with me as part of college basketball coast-to-coast. I look to look forward to being around Deshaun as well later this weekend. We will see each other in Minneapolis at the Final Four along with Virginia, Texas Tech, Auburn, and Michigan State who have all made it. Deshaun, good to have you. And just give me a general comment uh, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10. I think this was about a 27 in terms of drama and how good these games were on Saturday and Sunday. But I won't speak for you. Give me an overall thought on what we just saw in the Elite Eight weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me, TJ. This whole only seeing you once a year thing for the Final Four thing is not nearly enough. I'm going to go crazy if I don't get a chance to hang out with my boy TJ a little bit more often. Um, the, the the games itself were – they were very entertaining. They were really awesome, and I must say so myself. And I had some concerns because, you know, we didn't have any of the Cinderella's there. You know, you start thinking about over the years what kind of an impact or what kind of a story that we would have. And granted, we don't have the storylines of the sister genes and so forth. But, you know, at one point we did have, you know, the VCU and the Butler twice and George Mason and Loyola. We didn't have that this year. I was a little bit concerned uh, from that standpoint. But outside of that, you know, we did see a lot of chalk and teams that we expected to advance, teams that we did not expect to advance. Uh, Auburn certainly did some things that we've never seen before ever happened in the history of college basketball. Certainly uh, uh, Virginia turned around and did the exact same thing following up a year where they made history yet again. So it was all really, really good, really, really good programs. Uh, and, and, some, and, and you didn't see any blowouts. You didn't see anything crazy. All, a lot of games really came down to the wire and went into overtime made for a really good brand of basketball. Oh, no doubt. And you almost you had to have the nitroglycerin tablets, the paddles for the heart. Uh, I mean, starting Thursday, Friday night in the Sweet 16 and then carrying right through all four of these games down to the final couple of possessions, if not the final possession, if not overtime in the case of, uh, of Virginia and Purdue. I'll just lay it all out in front of you. You can take Texas Tech, Gonzaga, Virginia, Purdue, Auburn, Kentucky, or Michigan State Duke and pick and choose a thing from a game. What do, what do you want to say here about what we saw? Well, one thing as far as uh, as as the uh, the Texas Tech game goes, I mean, well, you, you just have to consider the fact that you just never want to overlook, you know, a, a program 
like that despite, you know, Gonzaga looking like the, the, the best number one seed that there was out there over the course of the week. And Texas Tech certainly, you know, the, all these teams kind of stayed in the game. And the phenomenal job that they did uh, in the, from a defensive performance and just finding a way and just gritting and grinding uh, and, and, and where a lot of people didn't really believe in them. And then you look at what Auburn has did with going through, you know, Kansas and North Carolina mm. and Kentucky. Oh. The, oh. the situation with Chuma Okiki and, you know, all of that. You know, you, there's there's certainly a team that has a chip on their shoulder right now. and They're riding the wave. You know, they're feeling confident and they're a predominantly, you know, traditional football program. So they're feeling really good about themselves. And, you know, when you look at the job that Carson Edwards did, mm. becoming the first player ever in, in, in the history or, or in, in the history of the tournament since Stephen Curry to win the most uh, – most outstanding player, rather, uh, of at that particular region and not winning the game and moving on to the Final Four, I think, was phenomenal. And the job that he'd done, you know, putting up 42 points here, averaging 34 points a game there, I think is, is really awesome. And obviously what Virginia did uh, coming off a year where they went, you know, lost to a 16 seed, just the, the, the resiliency of what they were able to do and pull it out. And certainly the Duke and Michigan State game, the back and forth and the Zion and the Tom Izzo's, and, you know, the, the, the coaching. I mean, everything. You got the tradition. You got the blue bloods. I know that this is a Michigan State team that for years had just been, you know, just scratching and clawing and knocking on the door and getting really close to beating Duke but can never overcome and entering the game with a 1-12 record. And it just goes to show, you know, you, this is March. At the end of the day, you can never, you never know what's going to happen. I was a little concerned, and I don't want to get too uh, too long-winded, TJ, but I was a little bit concerned in regards to what this Final Four would look like if we didn't have Zion, if we didn't have Kentucky, if we didn't have Duke and Coach K and Calipari and the one-and-dones and so forth. It's college basketball. It's something I want people to kind of embrace. This could have been a situation where we had Virginia, uh, Gonzaga, you know, uh, Kentucky, Duke, or it could have been a Michigan State, Auburn, yep. Purdue, or so, of some sort, you know, and Texas Tech. But at the end of the day, the teams that are there are the teams that deserve to be there, and I'm just looking forward to it all. Yeah, and it's a great point you make. There's no one undeserving. Every year we say this. You're not undeserving if you make the Final Four. I mean, you look at, you can say maybe you had an easier path as a one seed with a 16 seed as your first game. But when you're playing the 8-9 game, as as the one seeds all did in their next game, and then you got to play somebody even more difficult in the Sweet 16, and then you're playing an Elite Eight opponent that's already obviously won three games in the tournament, there, I mean, there's no undeserving Final Four team. You have earned it, and man, did these teams have to earn it in dramatic fashion, each one of them, because they all could have been eliminated. We could have been talking about the other team in every game's case. It's not like it was a 10-point spread or 20-point blowout for for Texas Tech, Virginia, Auburn, or Michigan State. And, and look, we, we've kidded with you. Uh, I see it on social media. You're a Michigan State guy. So I got to ask you in the in the uh, 14 15 lead changes whatever it was in the second half incredibly high level of play in that game how crazy were you going uh, I know you're trying to be objective you're covering it in the media but this is Michigan State and Duke for a shot in the final four how crazy were you going as that game unfolded Sunday night Deshaun Tate well, a little crazy. I had to be on the air at the same time immediately after the game. So I was in between, you know, taking notes and, and, and for prepping for a show and, uh, and watching the game, kind of trying to do two things at once. I will never sign up to try multitasking during a Michigan State and Duke game and to determine the winner who goes to the Final Four. 
Uh, but I will say enough to say that I'm really proud of all that they've, you know, in, encountered and all, all that they endured because they too have overcome some adversity, not just within, you know, people uh, uh, um, saying, you know, this and that about Tom Mizzo, you know, whether it's, you know, the, how he disciplines his kids or whether it's yelling at them or whatever the case may be and how society today doesn't necessarily agree with it. But also I took this back to last year when they had a championship type of team uh, and, and, and lost in the second round in their own backyard in Detroit to, to Syracuse. And this is in the wake of all the stuff that was coming down on Tom Mizzo following up the Larry Nasser stuff and, and, and a lot of microphones in his face at that time. I don't forget during those times. This team used these things to kind of uh, uh, catapult them to another level. The chemistry was to get, you know, was there. Everybody was right there together. They embraced it together. They wanted to do it, you know, for the coach. And this is a very interesting fact that I don't think a lot of people really pay attention to. The last time that that this Tom Izzo led, that a Tom Izzo led Michigan State team had two lottery picks leave and go to the NBA draft was 2014 with Adrian Payne and Gary Harris. They followed that up with a Final Four run the very next year in 2015. Here we are in 2019, where the previous year in 2018 they lost two lottery picks in Jaron Jackson Jr. and Miles Bridges, and they follow it up with a Final Four run. Sometimes it, it, the times that you expect Tom Izzo to get there isn't the times he does, mm. but the times you don't is certainly the times he does. Well said by Deshaun Tate. He's at Tate's Take Sports on Twitter. And you're right, that's coaching, reloading with your talent, getting the most out of your talent. And this team definitely found something. I've only got a couple of minutes left here before we get out of here recapping the Elite Eight. We said earlier in the podcast, Duke just lived dangerously again for the third game in a row. And you cannot, obviously, I said it in advance, a bunch of people have said it over and over again in advance of this game. You can't keep living like this in the NCAA tournament and not have it bite you. When you're playing close games, high wire act, last second games, and finally Michigan State was the team that that knocked them off. Still, Zion Williamson, amazing tournament. You know this, Deshaun. Uh, coach K, Hall of Fame coach, the all-time winningest Division One coach ever. But as great as Coach K is and as great as Zion Williamson was throughout the tournament coming off the injury, as great as he was Sunday, Michigan State was just better. It, it just shows you how hard it is to get to the Final Four and win the whole thing that Kentucky and Duke couldn't get to the Final Four. That's how hard it is to win, Deshaun. One more time. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, you know, people might say, you know, feel how they feel about, you know, the injuries. Of course, you know, P.J. Washington, whether he was 100% or not, and granted they could have been there, but the, when it comes down to who advances to the Final Four, it's all about the game slowing down and every possession becomes more and more critical and you start having to rely at the free throw line. You sit back and look at that Kentucky uh, that Kentucky team. I think they shot maybe, what, like 54%. That is a recipe of disaster uh, for for teams and at Coach the line, Calipari, right teams, at the line, at, from yep. the free throw yep. line, correct. Yep. They didn't they didn't shoot particularly well. You look at the same thing, Duke from the free throw line didn't shoot particularly well coming into the tournament, coming into that particular game as well. Uh, R.J. Barrett, one of the best players in the country, obviously going to be a top three pick in the NBA draft, top five for sure, I would imagine. And he had his opportunity to 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 tie the game up where I think he wanted to make the first free throw and miss the second. Uh, but instead, I think he, 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 he missed the first free throw and incidentally made the second. So from that standpoint, it, it, you have to always play to win instead of playing not to lose. 
And whether the better team prevailed or not, I'm not sure, but I think the team that worked for it much harder well, ended up winning. And, and one more, if I can interject, play. and one more, you got to make sure. shots. And, and you look at Texas Tech finishing it off. You look at, my God, how many shots were made by both teams in the Virginia-Purdue game. You look at the Auburn shots yeah. they made. You look at Michigan State clutch two or three times, including Kenny Goins with the huge three. You got to make shots. That's what also keeps you alive, right? Real quick. Yeah, absolutely. It does. You have to be big shot makers. And, of course, Auburn going into this game uh, was a team uh, that, you know, shot well from from three. But I was impressed by the way that they were able to shoot from the perimeter going into the game and shooting 30% from three in the game against Kentucky and still able to pull out a win against a much bigger team because Auburn is a three to four guard led type of team you start looking at these injuries real real quick you know when you're looking at Chuma Okiki they mm. had injuries and you know Duke wasn't the only one with injuries maybe where our uh not RJ Bear but uh Cam Reddish maybe wasn't healthy but you know certainly Michigan State had some banged up players as well between Nick Ward who wasn't 100 percent Joshua Langford's been out for much of the season Kyle Arns who's a, a, a role player for them Everybody kind of has a story to tell. I'm just glad that that we do see the teams that were able to put those things on their backs, you know, and kind of lead the way for them. All right, I know we got to get out of here. Two first-time teams, programs in the Final Four, Texas Tech and Auburn. Virginia not there in the last 35 years. And then Michigan State has regularly been there under Tom Izzo. So it's diverse, it's wild, and uh, again, give lots of credit uh, to these teams for being able to climb the mountain uh, to this point now and, and be the ones left standing in Minnesota. How pumped are you that later in the week we're going to be around all of this? U.S. Bank Stadium, it'll have 70-plus thousand people crammed in uh, from the fan bases of Michigan State and Auburn and Texas Tech and Virginia. You pumped for later in the week in Minneapolis and, and getting to this 2019 Final Four, sir? I am. I'm excited about it, I man. I couldn't be more ready. Obviously, Michigan State's a part of it, so I'm really excited from that standpoint. But I'm just ready to see some really good basketball. You're going to see some really good offense between Auburn and Michigan State. You're going to see some really good defense between three teams of Michigan State, uh, uh, of Virginia, also Texas Tech. Some really good programs, obviously. Some really good coaches. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to Minnesota. I don't know if I'm going to have to break out my, my big triple fat goose. I'm going to need a coat with a bunch of feathers in it. It might be a little nippy up there, but at the end of the day, the basketball is going to certainly heat up everything. I might need uh, TJ to, 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 to break, break out the black card and take me on a shopping spree. We might have to go up to Mall of America and do Maybe. A, go on a shopping spree. My friend, I don't know if you've ever been, but I've been there. You could spend days, days, not just hours, days in the mall. They've got an amusement park in there as well as the stores and the movie theaters and the restaurants. They've got an amusement park with rides in that mall. You know, I, 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 did, I didn't know that. I might have to empty out the whole account. I might not have a place to stay when I get back home. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have fun in Minnesota with all of this. Look forward to a great Elite Eight one, one more time, um, at least in the 2000s. The 2005 Elite Eight is probably the only one as comparable, as hotly contested, as close as the games were. I can't wait to see what our, what our two semifinals and our championship game are going to be in this 2019 Final Four. Deshaun Tate, thank you. Plug away again on where the fans can find you with your stuff, your social media on the air in Atlanta. Go ahead one more time. At Tate's Take Sports, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E Sports, doing a lot of work for 92.9 The Game. 
at 929thegame.com. Uh, you can find a ton of stuff. Look me up to Sean Tate again at T A T E S. C-A-K-E Sports, where basketball lives. Oh, it does. Deshaun, thank you. Look forward to seeing you in Minnesota along with Texas Tech, Virginia, Auburn, and Michigan State. Thank you, sir. Looking forward to it. I'll see you there in safe travel. And that'll do it for this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. Had so much fun breaking it all down with our guys that were there. Thanks again to Ari Russell back at the beginning of the podcast who was right there for the Duke-Michigan State game. Phenomenal game. Epic game won by Michigan State to punch their ticket for the Final Four. Thanks to Matt Zimmick, cbbtoday.com. As he joined me to give me some historical perspective, you go back to 2005, and what an amazing Final Four that that one was with the Elite Eight games, crazy overtime games, Michigan State and Louisville, and even Illinois all winning in overtime. North Carolina eventually won the title, won a hotly contested Elite Eight game as well. This Elite Eight was every bit of that uh, this weekend in the 2019 tournament, and congrats again to Texas Tech, to Virginia, to Auburn and to Michigan State who've made it. Thanks also to Mark Wise for his insight and analysis. He'll be with me coming in Minnesota. So too will Deshaun Tate. Appreciate him stopping by with his thoughts as well. Again, Ari Russell will also be joining us. Great stuff here. Previews for the Final Four coming later in the week. Subscribe to this podcast. iTunes, Stitcher. Find us on Spreaker.com, but subscribe to the podcast that comes to your device automatically as we will be previewing the Final Four leading to Saturday for those matchups with Virginia and Auburn, followed by Michigan State and Texas Tech. I'm TJ Reeves. We appreciate you stopping by as we recap the Elite Eight. Keep it locked in for later this week from Minnesota and the Final Four as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast.